It was about a, a foot long. It was a rotted piece of wood that he had found, and he had poked uh, four little sticks, two in the front and two in the back. And he got another little rotted piece of wood for the head and jammed that on one end of the log. And he had some little twigs sticking up turned out to be antlers. And then down the side of the body of the rotted log, he had jammed five peg sticks. It's here. And Brian said, wow, thank you, son. Um, what is it? <laughs> and the little boy um, knew what his dad's work was. And he said, it's a deer tie rack for your ties when you preach and teach. And Brian thanked him profusely, and he said how much he loved it. And the question is, was that gift intrinsically good? Was it valuable? Was it worth a lot of money? Hardly. <laughs> was it high quality? No. But it was good because Brian was a good dad. God doesn't see our works as good in and of themselves with merit of their own. He sees them good because he is good. He graciously receives us. He adopts us as his own because we are in Christ. That's our second point. So it's still true. No one can boast. Our good works aren't suddenly good in and of themselves on their own intrinsic merit. No, they're good because God is good. God is well pleased with his son, and we are now in his son, so he is well pleased with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if anyone boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Boast about Christ's good works for you. And by the way, since it's true that our works are good to the extent that we're in Christ, it would be good to know, would it not, how far in Christ we are. How far in Christ are we? All the way. How much of our sin did he cover? All of it. Is there any sin <clears throat> that slipped by unnoticed or unpaid for? Not one. How many commands did Jesus obey for us? All of them. Is there any part whatsoever of perfect righteousness that he did not perform? None. How picky about the law is God? To the nth degree. Because it reflects his perfect character. He's not just being mean and hard to get along with. He's being true to his perfect, holy, pure, clean, majestic, powerful nature. It takes perfection to satisfy his holiness. Obedience and performance of good works must be flawless. The goat must be unblemished. The lamb must be without spot. Salvation is indeed by works, but certainly not yours or mine. 
someone else's. Someone with a 100% perfect track record, a perfect law keeper. Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God. When you're wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, you are fully accepted by God. And yes, we do good works, but compared to Christ, ours are swallowed up, dwarfed, and consumed by his. They cannot be compared in any real way. Can you compare a dime with $100 trillion? And both are money, but there's no comparison. Being in Christ makes our works good. And God does command and desire those works, but they're good because God is good. Doing good works to be saved, to merit or earn God's favor and grace, well, Jesus took that test for us, and he got an A+, plus, 100%. So this, this means that we're now free to do good works wide open, as it were, like crazy people, because the test has already been graded. That's what John Piper was saying in the bulletin quote for our meditations, what he was getting at. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation. They are demonstration. Salvation is owned by faith, and salvation is shown by deeds. One of the slogans of the Reformation was, salvation is by faith alone, but that faith will not remain alone. It will not be alone. So getting rewards, the Bible talks about rewards through good works. Getting rewards through good works is merely to see how many crowns we will have to throw at King Jesus' feet in heaven, not to see if we'll get to heaven. So we're, we're free to do good works like never before to advance the cause of Christ, to serve others, to glorify God, to thank him for his great plan of salvation, everything but earning it. Christ did that. Thirdly and lastly is the purpose of our election is to do good works, the text tells us. So we saw in verse 8 how we're saved by grace, and now verse 10 tells us why. It's to do good according to God's purposes, and he ties it to election and predestination in eternity past before we even got here and ever had a chance to even try to be good. He ties it to that. And Paul mentions this a little before our passage back in chapter 1, verse 4 famous passage about where he's explaining election. He says, we're chosen by God, we're elected by God before the foundation of time to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's being righteous, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the end toward which election and predestination point. The pre-destination, the destination decided beforehand, the predestination of good works is to be holy and blameless. 
Certainly heaven is the final destination, but it follows that once we're saved on this earth, we should do works in keeping with where we're headed, is Paul's point. This has been God's plan all along. And we're big in the Reformed faith, are we not, on predestination and election, and the fact that Christians are elect, chosen by God before they had a chance to do even one good work. We're big on that, and that's great. And it will set you free when you find out God himself chose you by his sheer grace. But then what? Well, too often we stop right there. No wonder we're sometimes called the frozen chosen. If you've never heard that, I'm sorry to <laughs> ruin what people think of us. <laughs> but that's because many of us are stuck on predestination. But this text says, look at what it leads to, what it was intended to produce, good works. Why are you elect? Well, of course, to straighten out all those brothers who got predestination wrong. No. <laughs> we are elect to do good work, to love and accept one another, to be kind, to help each other, to do the same for non-believers, to be good Samaritans, to have our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, to go the second and third mile and beyond in countless areas of life, knowing all the while we won't be judged or criticized by God when we do it wrong or not enough. You can ask my family, I'm not very good at this. I'm much better at explaining it than I am than doing it. But that's why we're here, to do this. Remember, Jesus did it right and got an A. And that grade was imputed to your record forever. God has lots of good and blessing and righteousness and good things he wants to bestow on his people and the rest of the world, and you and I are his appointed means. We were created to do this in advance for him in his name. Calvin says the good works we now do for God, he says they are drawn out of his treasure of good, which was prepared long ago. It's quite a picture, isn't it? God has a treasure store of good that he draws from, and we're the plan, we're the means he chose to do that. This is what it means to work out one's salvation comes from Philippians 2. It says, this is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is. For it is God who works in you both to will and act according to his good purpose. Now that's the link back to our phrase in today's text in verse 10, um, which God prepared beforehand or created in advance. So every time we revel in our election, and we should, because Paul sure did, let's also remember to take it to the next step, its purpose, and that is doing good work. And the idea of Christians doing good works is what fueled much of what James was talking about when he said, faith without works is dead. If you have someone who says he's elect, 
but isn't doing any resultant good works, our text this morning, Ephesians 2.10, says that's spiritually strange because elect people's whole purpose in life is to do good works. Perhaps a good way to end this is to talk for the moments that remain about the difference between active and passive righteousness. Now, when I say active and passive, I'm talking about in relation to you, to us, and your ability to manufacture righteousness. Active righteousness is righteousness or good works that you do yourself. If you keep, let's get some examples here. If you keep the speed limit, you have speed limit righteousness. If you pay your taxes fully and on time without fudging, you have tax righteousness. If you eat right and exercise, you have health righteousness. If you don't use profanity, you have language righteousness. If your yard is a mess and the neighbors glare at you all the time, you do not have nice lawn righteousness. If you're on time for appointments, you have punctuality righteousness. If you pay your bills on time, you have bill deadline payment righteousness. You get the idea, on and on. These are all good works which we manufacture. We're calling this active righteousness because I actively did them. But then there's passive righteousness. Two quick Bible references, Romans 1.17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And following soon after that, Romans 3.21 says... But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, meaning apart from that list of things that when obeyed give you active righteousness, a righteousness apart, separate from your law manufacturing, has been made known. And the key phrase in those two verses from Romans is from God, meaning passive regarding your effort. You are passive in it, and God is active in it. It's from God, alien, and outside of you and your efforts. And this alien righteousness is gospel righteousness. It's accomplished by Christ and given to us from the outside. It comes upon us, not from within us. We don't manufacture this kind of righteousness. Christ does by his perfectly lived life. He said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to, in fact, actually do it, to fulfill it. This kind of righteousness, which is passive to us, is saving righteousness. We could never, in a million years, with a million billion chances to try, ever come up with this passive righteousness. It is instead credited to us by faith, faith in the one who can and did, in fact, produce it. Christ Jesus, the friend of sinners.
And once we've received that gift of gospel righteousness, we begin to produce an act of righteousness, not a saving one, but an act of righteousness out of thankful hearts, knowing more and more that we are proving out, demonstrating the salvation God gave to us. And it's in line and in tune with his eternal purposes for us in this world. So here's the verse again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So really, happy new year. Let's pray. And Father, as we now come to the table of remembrance, we would simply ask that you help us keep these two kinds of righteousness straight in our minds and not to confuse them. If there are any here today trying to earn your favor with their righteousness, may they see that they can never please you in any saving way. And may they repent of their own righteousness and latch on to by faith that righteousness that Christ won for us. And for all of us who have that righteousness of Christ, may we abound in grateful good works for the kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the table, I want to focus